Well, hello, Bell Shoals family. It is so good to see you today as we worship King Jesus together. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Bell Shoals. And I want to say a special welcome to those of you in the room here at our Branding Campus and those of you who are joining us online. It's wonderful to have you with us, those of you in West Central Florida and those of you who are connecting with us from uh, all across the country and even places around the world. We've been in... Uh, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Ephesians now for several weeks. And over the past couple of weeks, we've focused specifically on family because the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus nearly 2,000 years ago, has spent some time applying the work of God and the power of God to the family unit. And so we've talked about what it looks like for uh, the husband and wife in the home to submit to each other in the fear of Christ, for the wife to the husband as to the Lord, the husband to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Last week, we talked about the importance of children obeying their parents and the Lord for this is right and honoring father and mother because this is the first commandment of the 10 commandments that God gave to us with a promise. And this week, we're gonna talk about the role of parents to love and lead their children in a way that honors the Lord. And, and if you haven't noticed, parenting is the hardest work in the world. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of hard work. Work. My wife and I have four children. Uh, I brought a picture of them with me today. As you can see, our four children. This was taken a few years ago before they turned into sinners. <laughs> this is back when we loved them and uh, cherished them. And then they turned into teenagers and we're looking for places for them to live. And... Um, <laughs> spend the rest of their days. Our children are wonderful. Uh, They're such a blessing to us. And, uh, you know, they get a lot of grief because my kids know anything they say can and will be held against them in a sermon illustration. Uh, And so they put up with a lot over the years, but uh, my wife and I, of course, love them dearly. They are truly incredible kids. And uh, they are now uh, in the ages of 20 down to 14. And so we have uh, mostly teenagers. Now we have a 20-year-old and, and, and God's really blessed us with our kids. But listen, all of us who have children or we will in the future, some of you are uh, parents-to-be. Some of you maybe have influence in talking or counseling with other parents or maybe you're in the grandparent stage and you're helping your children to raise their children. Whatever your situation is, listen, God has a word for us because parenting is hard. It really is the hardest work in the world. I think about our four children relative to something that the comedian Jim Gaffigan said. He, he said, you want to know what it's like having four kids? Imagine you're drowning and someone hands you a baby. <laughs> That's kind of like what it, what it is, you know, but, but the reality is maybe some of you have one child and you feel like you're drowning and someone handed you a baby. You have two children and you feel the same way. It really doesn't matter. You know, as you're learning to become a parent, you learn very quickly that there's nothing more difficult or rewarding in all of the world. Marshall McLuhan said this, diaper spelled backward is repaid. Just think about that. 
Diaper spelled backward is repaid. You are welcome. Ray Romano once said this, everyone should have kids. They're the greatest joy in the world, but they're also terrorists. You'll realize this as soon as they're born and they start using sleep deprivation to break you. (laughs) I can relate to that. Speaking of a loss of sleep, Allison Hannigan once said this, why don't kids understand their nap is not for them, but for us? That is so true. And then Ari Fishbane said, sending your kids to summer camp teaches them important life lessons. Like, you can deal with your problems by sending them to summer camp. (laughs) So parents, take advantage of all the incredible camps and opportunities we have for you this summer at Bell Shoals. Parenting is hard work. It's the hardest work in the world. It's the most rewarding work in all of the world. But for all of you who are joining us today, I just, I just want you to know that, that we're in this together. One of the blessings of being a part of our faith family and being a part of the church in general is, is walking through life with people who are in similar life stages and situations who are striving for the same things. And, and we need each other. We need the encouragement that God gives us in his word. We need the encouragement that we provide to one another because when it comes to raising children, again, it is so very difficult. Let me give you a couple of reasons why parenting is so difficult. Maybe you're looking to be a parent at some point in the future. Let me just give you a heads up about what makes parenting so very difficult. First of all, there's no PTO. You don't get any paid time off. <laughs> You know, when, when, when you become a parent, like it's, it's a full-time job, all in, 365, 24-7, like there are no breaks. And there's, there's, there's a physical toll, especially when your kids are little, and then there's an emotional and a spiritual toll. There's just, there's just never a day you're not a parent. There's never a day you're not thinking about your children, worried about your children, praying for your children, concerned about your children. And so, so part of the reason that Parenting is so hard as the job comes with no PTO. Secondly, our daily responsibilities as parents come with delayed rewards. You know, parenting is like farming. You're sowing a lot of seed and you have to wait a considerable period of time before the harvest comes. I I mean, you start out as a parent and you get those early years where your kids are, are little and they're kind of everywhere and you know, they're, they're so dependent upon you and you think, oh, I just can't wait until they start walking. And then you say, why did I ever wish for that, right? And, and then there's just this intensity of time and energy and focus. You're like, why well, just can't wait until my kids become more independent. And then you're like, why did I wish for that? <laughs> It's hard to put a 16-year-old in a playpen. You know, it's, it, it's, it's hard. And so there's just this navigation all throughout their lives of, of, of sowing seed, of, of teaching and training and disciplining. And you're, you're having hard conversations and you're, you're investing so much energy and you're doing so much so often. But here's the reality, moms and dads, the payoff for all of this work is years down the road. And we just have to keep that in mind in those moments where we're fatigued or we're frustrated or we're discouraged. Hey, keep doing the right thing. Keep taking the next step. God is using all that you are doing on a daily basis to ultimately bring 
a significant reward because ultimately all, we want all of our children to be well-functioning, God-honoring adults, don't we? And that's just years in the making. And so those of us who are in this stage of raising our children, there's no PTO, there's a delayed reward. We really don't get to pay off for years and years and years and years down the road. And then finally, as our children get older, the stakes get higher. And so for those of you with young children today and you came into the room exhausted and you came into the room carrying diaper bags and you dropped off your, your, your child or your children in, in our kids ministry. And so you've got all these stickers all over your body, these security tags, and you're not even sure what day of the week it is. I, I just want you to know, listen, listen to me. Here's a word of encouragement from Jesus, okay? It's going to get worse. I know you think right now is like the worst it's gonna get and you're tired, you're not sleeping and you're trying to juggle naps and maybe you had another child, you had another child in the mix and God bless your family in that way. And so now there's feeding, just all, you're trying to figure all this out. How do we do date nights and what happened, all that expendable income we used to have and all this stuff. Listen, it's only gonna get worse because as your kids get older, the stakes get higher and you move from this phase of physical exhaustion to emotional and spiritual exhaustion. And you really come to know the gravity of worry and having to coach your kids through relationships and decisions that literally are gonna impact them for the rest of their lives. And you have to manage how to shape them without discouraging them and kind of help them to get to that place of ultimate reward where they're making decisions for themselves that honor King Jesus that are good for them and their future families. And so what makes parenting so hard? Well, a lot of things, but just a few. There's no, there's no PTO. All that we're doing on a daily basis comes with delayed reward. We're all years and years and years out from really seeing the full reward of all that we're investing. And then the reality is, as our kids get older, the stakes get higher and we're more and more and more invested. We're having harder conversations. We're navigating dynamics that are way more complicated than the ones we navigated when they were two, three, four, and five. And so for these and other reasons as well, listen, parenting is hard. I just wanna actually encourage you with that. We're all in this together. If you came in the room tired, frustrated, fatigued, just, just be encouraged. We're all in this together. It's the hardest work in the world. But thankfully, God has given us some parameters to live by that provide a foundation for us. And, and I come to you today not as a perfect parent. I come to you today not able to exhaust the subject of, of parenting and just one message. But I, listen, I ultimately come to you today on the authority of God's word to say, our heavenly father knows what it means to father. And he's given us a foundation on which to build our homes. And, and that's, that's a good word. And, and, and he's done that in, in one place in particular, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've seen that really more than anything else, our kids need a healthy relationship between mom and dad. Nothing brings security to a child like a healthy relationship between mom and dad. And, and so we've spent time talking about what it means for husbands to love their wives as Christ loves the church, for wives to respect their husbands and the role that they have, for, for children to see the wisdom that their parents bring to the table and to obey their parents and to honor them. And today I, I want us to think through what parents bring to the table. 
and how we can lead and love our kids in a way that doesn't exasperate them or frustrate them, but encourages them and shapes them to be who God has made them to be. And we're gonna look at one verse of scripture today, all right? Ephesians 6, 4, Paul gives us one verse of scripture, but there's a lot here. Let, let me show it to you. Ephesians 6, 4, he says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Here's the key. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I think it's significant that Paul begins by, by pointing to fathers, because I, as I told you a couple of weeks ago, fathers bear ultimate responsibility for what happens in the home. And so, and so mothers, this word applies to you too. This applies to parents in general, but it's important to note that fathers bear the ultimate responsibility for what happens in the home. And I believe that's why Paul here highlights fathers in the instruction. It certainly applies to mothers too. And I know there's some of you here with us today and you're in a situation for whatever reason, you're a single parent as a father or a mother. And listen, I just want you to know that, that Bell Shoals, the family of Bell Shoals loves you. We're, we're, we're standing with you in this. We're here to help you and encourage you in any way that we can. Being in that situation where maybe some of you feel like you're trying to fill both roles, that's an incredibly different situation. I just want you to know, we love you. We're here for you in any way that we can be because as parents, there are some things that we need to bring to the table to help our kids be healthy and holy. And Paul highlights two of those things. These are what I call two pillars on which biblical parenting, godly parenting rests. All right, there's really two pillars on which we could kind of set everything that relates to parenting. All right, here they are. Biblical parenting or godly parenting is established on the pillars of formative instruction and corrective discipline. So whatever situation you're in today, maybe you're a grandparent who's, who's raising your grandchildren. Maybe you're a single parent. Maybe um, you're a family day and, and you've got mom and dad there in the same home with your children. Whatever your situation, know there's two pillars we wanna think through when it comes to leading our children to being healthy, and holy, it's formative instruction and it's corrective discipline. So Paul says, do not exasperate your children. How do we do that? Well, we can over discipline and under instruct or under discipline and over instruct, right? But we need balance. So we're not to frustrate or exasperate our children. We're to bring them up with both formative instruction and corrective discipline. Our kids need both. So let's break those down. First of all, let me start with formative instruction, all right? Here, here, here's the thing. Here, here's what the scripture helps us to see. That formative instruction is primarily the responsibility of the parent. Now, never in all of my life did I think that statement would be controversial, but it is. We live in a day and a time where formative instruction is viewed as the role of this school or the teacher or the administrator or the pastor. But I just wanna remind you of God's design. God's design is that parents are the primary faith leaders of their children and parents are the primary educators of their children. Parents have to bring formative instruction 
to the table. This has always been God's design. Let me take you back to Deuteronomy 6. Moses talking to Israel. He said, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart, right? And look what he says, repeat them to your children. Teach them to your children, right? Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The point is, Parents have a responsibility to bring formative instruction to their children. It is our responsibilities, moms and dads, to teach our children to shape their minds and their hearts with information that will not only educate them, but that will prepare them for a future that honors King Jesus. And I believe this is a greater challenge for those of us living in this generation than any previous generation. Parents, listen to me very, very carefully. Our culture is not neutral toward our children. Our culture does not approach or influence our children with neutrality. There's an agenda. I remember the good old days when I was a child of having entertainment that was entertainment driven, not agenda driven. I remember the good old days when Wiley Coyote was trying to drop an anvil on the Roadrunner. Those were the good old days. I remember being able to watch something on TV or pick up a comic book or, or, or read a Garfield when I was supposed to be reading something else. And, and like, it was fun and it was entertaining and it was playful and it was geared for kids my age. And, and, and I'll, I'll never forget, my child is just the stuff that I would turn on. And, and uh, you know, the most serious we got when I was a kid was Mr. Rogers or Bob Ross. Right? Like that's as serious as we got. And I only watched those things because my grandparents watched those things for reasons unknown to me. Okay? I liked the anvil falling on Wiley e. Coyote's head. And then the Lord blessed my wife and I with children of our own. And as we began to, you know, turn on programming for our kids and go to the movies with our kids, you know, I noticed immediately as a parent, like, the shows out there today, the, the literature out there today, like everything has to have a point. Like everything has an agenda. Like I noticed very, very quickly as a, as a young parent, like, man, there's more happening here than just an anvil falling from the sky and, you know, having some programming or something that's fun for our kids. Like there's, there's a point to all this. There's an agenda, to all of this. And I can tell you, it's only gotten Worse, culture is not neutral toward our children. I recently read about the movie Turning Red that was released on Disney+. Plus. It's about a young girl coming to the age where puberty sets in and all that happens when a young girl hits puberty. There were many parents online posting concern about the movie because they didn't want their five-year-olds being confronted with the realities of what happens to girls who are in the midst of puberty. And I read 
many articles this week from mainstream media outlets criticizing parents for their concern and stating to parents that our children need to learn about these things, whether we want them to or not. When those of us who are parents understand, there's no opposition to our children learning about these things, but there is opposition to them, number one, learning them from people that have no business teaching them, and number two, learning them at five years old. That's a problem. And, and here's the biggest problem, right? Here's the biggest problem. The biggest problem in all of this is that the locus of influence to our children is being shifted away from parents to society. And society determines what is best for children, when it is best for children, not parents. And this is a huge issue. This movie, Turning Red, goes on to highlight a relationship between this girl who turns into a big giant red panda when puberty sets in and her mother and the disagreements they have. At one point, this girl says to her mother, my panda, my choice. The film's closing message is this, girls can follow the world by dressing how they want, going where they want and listening to what they want and parents should just get out of the way, which is precisely what the girl's mother does in the film. This is commonplace. Our society influences our children in the following ways. It's communicated that parents are the bad guys, not the good guys. Parents are short-sighted and they don't really know what's best for their children. Gender is a social construct and not a biological reality. Fathers are bumbling idiots instead of caring providers. Oh, how I long for the days of Wild E. Coyote. You may have seen this week that the president's nominee for the Supreme Court was asked directly by a member of Congress what a woman is, and the nominee stated, I do not know because I am not a biologist. We live in a day and a time, parents, listen to me very, very carefully, where our culture is not neutral toward our children. Our culture is trying to take our place. And therefore they need us to provide formative instruction, godly conversation, meaningful dialogue about what it means to live in this world and to function as a man or a woman who honors God and experiences his best. Our kids aren't gonna get that in our culture. Now, some of you I know are thinking, oh, here, here, here goes a, a pastor being a Neanderthal saying, get off my lawn. I just wanna promise you I'm not that guy. Listen, I'm not anti-public school. I'm not anti-media. I'm not anti-movies. Listen, I'm the guy who believes that Journey wrote the song faithfully to describe our relationship with God. Okay, that's, that's at least how I sing it, all right? <laughs> I think I'm a fairly normal person. Uh, I'm not trying to overprotect my kids. I don't live in a bubble and I don't think trying to put your kids in a bubble works because they will all find their ways outside the bubble. Okay, I'm not a Neanderthal. I'm not the get off my long guy. Listen, I, I, but I'm also a realist and I also see what's happening. And I also know that's why for 
years, God has told his people, you have to, parents, teach your children what is right. You have to talk to them about these things when they lie down, when they rise up, when you travel along the way. These conversations have to be ongoing because our culture is not neutral toward them. It's getting worse. Our kids need us to step in the gap and say, no, there is right, there is wrong. There, there, There is something called gender that is biological according to God's design. It's not a social construct. Our kids need to hear us talk and teach about what it means to walk with the Lord and to honor him. Listen, this form of instruction is huge. I think it's never been more important in our society. Here's what the scripture says. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. So I'm not talking about living in a bubble. What I am talking about is being a parent who is fully engaged. You see, here's the thing. Our our society is trying to influence the next generation, not by appealing to parents, but by appealing to our children. That's why I'm thankful for our governor who's taken a stand to say, parents need to educate their children. We're grateful. I'm grateful. And if Governor DeSantis is watching, I just wanna say thank you, sir, for your leadership and please bring back Wild E. Coyote. (laughs) Bring him back. (laughs) I mentioned that because listen, if you're paying attention, moms and dads, just look at the reaction to our governor for simply saying, there are certain things that need to be first and foremost taught in the home. People have lost their minds over this. I'm not making a political statement here. I'm making a biblical statement here that formative instruction should begin in the home. And that is imperative for us. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying put your kids in shrink wrap and put them in a bubble and make them memorize the Bible start to finish before they ever leave the house. Okay, I'm, I'm not saying that, that, that your kids shouldn't be engaged and involved in the world in which they live. Listen, that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we're to be in the world without being of the world. And we think as moms and dads, how do we shape the hearts and minds of our kids to be in but not of? It starts with formative instruction. Teaching, talking, engaging in meaningful conversation, protecting, seeing where they are, asking what their friends are saying and doing and thinking, asking how they feel. And and having these conversations in such a way that we're shaping their hearts and minds. That's the goal. What does it look like to be a parent who's building on the foundation of God's will for us? Well, it's the first pillar of formative instruction. And then the second pillar is corrective discipline. All right, corrective discipline. Now this is huge. And this is also tough. If it weren't tough enough to try and teach and train with, <laughs> with all that's happening around us, listen, we start thinking about discipline. I mean, that's, that's hard no matter what your context, right? But I want you to see here that this idea of discipline is really the idea of training. It's ongoing training. So, so another way you can think of these two pillars is teaching and training, formative instruction, corrective discipline. Now, why do I emphasize discipline as training? Because that's literally what the word means. 
Let me show you another scripture where the same word that's translated discipline in Ephesians 6 is translated training. Here it is, 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for, here it is, training in righteousness. That word training, same word Paul uses in Ephesians 6 for discipline, same idea. Now, why do I emphasize that moms and dads? For this simple reason, the kind of discipline that Paul is highlighting here is about more than punishment. Sometimes we think of discipline as punishment. Biblical discipline is not punishment. You say, well, what's the difference between training and punishment, between discipline and punishment? Very simply, it's this. Discipline has the idea of relational restoration. Punishment has the idea of immediate retaliation. Discipline is rooted in love. Punishment is rooted in anger. Discipline makes you better. Punishment makes you bitter. And it's not that discipline doesn't have consequences that hurt. That's not what I'm saying. They do. Discipline has consequences that hurt. But discipline as an idea of training is radically different than just lashing out and punishing. And sometimes people have this idea of discipline as if it's just punishment. No, it's way more than that. Discipline is about training and about shepherding the hearts of your children toward who God has made them to be. How does that happen? Formative instruction, corrective discipline. And when we are effectively disciplining or training our children, here's what happens. We, we bring to the table relational reconciliation because sin always leads to broken relationships. And when our kids mess up, it necessarily involves some type of broken relationship. And so the goal of godly discipline is to restore the relationships that are broken. It can be a relationship between the child and a parent, the child and a sibling, the child and a teacher, the child and a friend. But when that relationship is broken, discipline is enacted to bring ultimately relational restoration. And so my wife and I have have carried some principles throughout our time as parents into our home that bring restorative discipline. Let me give you three of these. I encourage you to take these down, all right? Say, okay, how do I know as a parent the difference between like a foolish childish act, like, okay, my kid, left his or her shoes on when they came in the house, just foolishness, childishness. How do I know something like that that might need correction, but it's, it's not like some type of significant discipline. How do I know the difference between that and something that needs immediate action and corrective discipline? How do I know that? All right, well, first of all, just, just make a note of this, no defiance, no defiance. Early on when your kids are little, they need to know no defiance. This is seen in kicking, screaming, throwing themselves on the floor, saying that didn't hurt. (laughs) Just that youthful defiance. Okay, you've got to teach your kids early on, no defiance, no defiance. Those of you who have strong-willed children, let me say, I feel your pain. Of our four children, we had two that were strong-willed and two that we loved. And... um, (laughs) I'm telling you, I feel your pain. You have a strong-willed child, you have a couple strong-willed children. Hey, it is 
tough. And so, and so hear me on this. You have to have a standard in your home when your kids are little, no defiance. And your will has to outlast theirs. I say this with a great measure of empathy. <laughs> if you got to know my children now, you would see truly how wonderful they are. And, and you probably wouldn't know that, you know, we, we went through some strong-willed years, but the only way you navigate, the, navigate those years, moms and dads, if that applies to you, is your will has to outlast theirs. And that starts with an expectation in your home, no defiance, all right? Secondly, make a note of this, no dishonesty. No dishonesty. Think about this. Lying breaks a relationship between the one who lied and the one who was lied to. What does defiance do? Breaks a relationship. There's a breach. There's a, there's a chasm there. There's, there's been an act of defiance that is such that it's created a chasm there that, that requires corrective discipline. What does dishonesty do? What does lying do? It creates a chasm between a relationship or multiple relationships. It has to be addressed. And, 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 and then finally, just make a note of this, no disrespect, no disrespect. And there's a progression here. Defiance is something that we normally see when our children are little. They're throwing their temper tantrums. They're stating no, uh, or I'm not gonna do that. It's, it's just def useful defiance. And then dishonesty, of course, begins to take shape as they get older. And then that can manifest itself in destructive ways. And then ultimately disrespect. We see this typically uh, in, in older years, teenagers with, with um, their decision-making and this transition point where they're preparing to be young adults and, and, and there can be disrespect. Parents can be seen as, a nuisance as, as opposed to a, a help and a blessing. And, and, and there can be various aspects of disrespect that again, bring a breach in the relationship. And so in my home, my wife and I had these principles. Our kids knew and they know we do not have defiance. We do not have dishonesty. We do not have disrespect. All three of those sins send you to jail. You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. Immediate addressing of the situation. And, and we address it in a way, and I encourage you to address it in a way that your children come to know, listen to me very, very carefully, that the consequences of their sin unchecked will be way more devastating in the long run than the immediate consequences of the discipline. Say, so why do we hit these things so significantly? Let me tell you why, parents, listen to me. Defiance, dishonesty, disrespect. You know why we hit them immediately and swiftly? Because they all involve the will and they all lead to broken relationships. It's different than I forgot to take my shoes off or I forgot to um, do my homework assignment. There may be types of discipline that we're enacting to teach and train, but, but the type of corrective discipline that's the most difficult always falls in the areas where it involves the will, defiance, dishonesty, disrespect. You cannot accidentally show defiance. You do not accidentally tell a lie. You do not accidentally disrespect. And therefore there has to be the kind of discipline that brings gravity to the situation because our kids need to see that the consequences of their unchecked defiance, dishonesty, and disrespect will bring tremendous hurt to them way beyond the consequences of the immediate discipline. And that's what we're trying to teach them. My sweet wife, 
modeled this beautifully for our family. I can't tell you how many days I'd come home from work and boy, there was a story waiting for me. There were times my, my wife would say, okay, you know what? You're not gonna, you're not gonna show respect or you're, gonna, you're not gonna overcome your defiance or whatever. Then you know what? You're gonna, be, you're gonna stay in timeout and, until, you, until you're ready. And I mean, there were times when my kids would be in timeout for three or four months. I mean, they'd just stay right there. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, just there they are. Like, hey, what happened? Didn't we used to have a child? Yeah, they're still in timeout. All right, well, we'll just keep rolling. I mean, there, there are days, there are weeks where it's like, what has happened? <laughs> and maybe some of you are in that life stage right now. Let me encourage you, don't change the parameters. No defiance, no dishonesty, no disrespect. How you navigate the discipline will change. And sometimes it changes on the child and the child's personality and what's most effective, but we can't lower the standard because these three areas impact the will and they lead to broken relationships. So what do we wanna teach our children through this discipline? We wanna teach them both the foolishness of their sin and also the blessing of restored relationships. And so parents, let me encourage you as you're navigating these years, okay, those of you, especially you're, you're navigating a strong-willed child, you're coming into the teenage years, let me just encourage you um, to seek not just corrective discipline, but ultimately relational restoration. And here's something we've done that I would encourage you to employ, okay? Have your kids apologize in complete sentences. Those of you with the three-year-olds, okay, buddy, come on, tell mommy that you're sorry. Sorry. Okay, back to timeout. I'll see you in March. You know, <laughs> I'll, see, <laughs> I'll see you in June. Okay, no, have your kids apologize in complete sentences. I'm sorry for being disrespectful. I'm sorry for saying X, Y, Z. I'm sorry for stealing your toy, whatever it is, because we wanna teach our kids again through the corrective discipline and the training, both that our wills are in need of God's grace and that when we handle our sin in the right way, it leads to healing and it leads to restoration. And... Um, and that's really, really, really important. Some of you are wondering, okay, you know, when I'm dealing with a younger child in, in, this, uh, in, in this stage, you know, how do I navigate? Again, let me just encourage you, your will has to outlast theirs, but don't lower the standard, all right? So principles for restorative discipline, bringing the relational dynamics into play, dealing with the heart and also the relationships that are impacted. And then secondly, and, and finally, let me wrap up just with a few principles for effective discipline. Just a few things we've learned over the years that I think apply to this passage of scripture and that this scripture helps us to see. All right, first of all, parents, just keep in mind, what you reward gets repeated, right? What gets rewarded gets repeated or what gets neglected gets repeated. <laughs> and so we wanna be mindful to always reward the right things. So when it comes to dishonesty, we always try and teach our children, and I know you're trying to teach your children, no doubt, that there's a difference between an act that is hurtful to someone that is owned and confessed and addressed than one that is multiplied in terms of its severity because of dishonesty. So there may be something that warrants discipline, but we always tell our kids, it'll be stronger discipline if lying is a part of it because we'd rather hear a, a bad truth than a good lie, right? That's true in life. 
And so what gets rewarded gets repeated. We wanna set things up both with positive reinforcement and, 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 and negative discipline to, to show our kids that what's rewarded is ultimately that which honors the Lord and is good for them. Secondly, make a note of this. Children adjust their behavior to what is tolerated, not what is communicated. And so all day long, you can say, hey, the, this is the parameter. This is the parameter. This is where we, but if, if you don't ever enforce it, then your kids will adjust that. By the way, we do the same thing as adults, right? We adjust to what's tolerated, not what's communicated. And so just a, a, an encouragement to be consistent as best you can. Third, discipline as our children mature should move from rules to reason to relationship. It's not that you don't have rules throughout your tenure as a parent, but in terms of the relational dynamic, listen to me very, very carefully. One of the ways that we exasperate our kids is, is, is we try to te- treat toddlers like teenagers or teenagers like toddlers. And when your kids are little, they just need rules. They need you to be a Pharisee. Here's the rule. Here's the parameter. You don't need to know the reason. A two-year-old can't reason, can't do complex reasoning. Just here's the rule, okay? But as your kids mature and as they grow, we want to have meaningful dialogue. Here's the reason why mom and dad think this is best for you. You may not agree. It's okay, you may not agree, you may not fully understand now, but I just want you to know this is the reason why. And you wanna help them grasp the reason that you're doing what you're doing. And ultimately, here's our goal. We want them to obey and we want them to thrive in the sense that they, they do it relationally. They say, I know that what my mom and dad have said to me or what they've asked of me is for my own good because I know that they love me more than anyone else. And that's the progression we hope to see in our children. They obey starting with rules, moving to reason, and ultimately because of their relationship. Some of you might say, okay, when your kids are little, what, should we spank our children? And that's such an easy question. I'm gonna let our other staff tackle that and answer that. That's just, it's, you know, pretty simple. Well, let me, um, let me just say, I, I, I don't think one size fits all with kids. You know, sometimes certain aspects of discipline impact kids you know, more effectively than others. But, but let me say this, biblically, when, um, when that type of discipline is administrated lovingly and consistently, it's effective. The scripture speaks to that. You know why? Because when your kids are little, they need rules. And when your kids are little, their brains are in their backsides. <laughs> Sometimes just a little love tap will help them to know what's right and what's wrong. But let me say this. If some of you are trying to put your 16-year-old son over your lap, you are not parenting correctly. (laughs) What we think of in terms of what might be helpful for a four-year-old who's in a, a stage of life where rules make more sense than anything else, and we try to bring that over to a teenager who needs to reason because that teenager is a few years away from living on his or her own, right? If we're trying to treat a 16-year-old like we treat a four-year-old, that's, that's a problem with our parenting. 
And that's where there are different aspects of discipline that we need to employ as our kids mature. And a part of what we bring to the table so as not to exasperate them is moving from rules to reason. We may have rules, but we're explaining the reason. And ultimately, this is the goal, even for us as followers of our Heavenly Father, right? That we, we obey out of love for our Father and our deep-seated conviction that what He wants for us is for our own good. And, and that's the progression we want to see in our homes, all right? Finally, let, 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 me, let me just encourage you with this, okay? Establish, moms and dads, just establish a healthy rule and you can manage the exceptions. Again, this is the hardest work in the world. And uh, none of us are perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. But thankfully, our God has given us some parameters. He's given us a foundation on which to build our parenting principles. And um, I just want to encourage you to establish a healthy rule. And uh, I know God will give you grace to manage the exception. Say, okay, well, how do I navigate sports or extracurricular activities? And um, how, how do I navigate friends and influences? And do I let them go over to this person's house? There's so many aspects of being a parent that you just kind of don't know how to navigate till you get in the situation. And again, we're here we're for you. We're in this together. So our community of faith is here to help. But beyond that, listen, I just want you to know, I mean, we can't tackle every scenario today, but I just want you to know, if you focus on establishing a healthy and a holy and a godly rule, you will have grace and wisdom to navigate the exceptions. And that's been a goal for me. I'm not going to be perfect. Parents, you're not going to be perfect. In, in our teaching and our training and our formative instruction and our corrective discipline. But if, but if we can do our very best to establish a healthy and a holy rule, then when some of these unique situations arise, we'll have the grace and the wisdom we need to navigate them. And, and, and therefore then finally, listen, I just want you to know the ultimate goal of what we do is gospel transformation, not behavior modification. And that's, that's the focus. That's what makes Christian parenting so unique, right? We, we're, we're trying to ultimately get our kids to Jesus. We're trying to get them to God's design. We're trying to get them to a place where they see God's will for them is best more than anything else. It doesn't do any good if our kids are the best behaved kids on planet earth, but they don't know Jesus and they spend eternity separated from him. We do what we do lovingly, right? Through formative instruction and corrective discipline or teaching and training, because ultimately we want our kids to come and know the love of their heavenly father and the incredible design and the incredible plan that he has for them. And uh, that's why we do what we do. So I hope some of this is helpful and encouraging to you. Um, I've already talked to a bunch of parents today and, and uh, man, again, we're all in this together. There's no greater privilege in all the world than being a parent. There's no greater responsibility. But uh, I know as we seek the Lord and his design, he'll give us grace.